Are you seeing this? You're one of the first human eyes to observe and wonder as millions of years of geologic change and tectonic force are swept away, revealing ancient secrets within the rock itself. You're probably not even wearing pants right now. Hi everybody, welcome to Dinosaurs Will Always Be Awesome. My name is Jimmy from the beaches of Central Florida. And I'm Kat, coming to you from the shores of Swan Lake, Victoria. When we think of fossil fish, we often imagine things like the spiral-jawed helicoprion, or the massive mega-mouthed monster Megalodon. But looking across the rich diversity of the fossil record, we don't have to wade out very far to find some amazing prehistoric fish. Now, before we go any further, I know what you're thinking. Fish aren't dinosaurs. Could they somehow also be awesome? Well, according to author Neil Shubin, dinosaurs, birds, reptiles, and even you and I are essentially just weird-looking fish, so I think we can let this one slide. Plus, we're collaborating with Dustin from the Explore Discovery Guild for Fossil Fish February, and we have some fantastic information for you, along with a very special guest. In places like Isla Morada, naturalists and fishing tourists can experience a rich biodiversity of marine and shore life. At tourist destinations like Robbie's, you can even come face to fin with giant predatory fish called tarpon. Tarpon, also known by the genus name Megalops, which means giant eyes, date back to the Cretaceous during the Albion stage about 113 million years ago. They were mid-level predators and often found themselves as meals for mosasaurs. In many ways, modern-day Florida is very similar to prehistoric Kansas. And if you think the fish are biting now, you have no idea what's been waiting for you 85 million years ago. The Western Interior Seaway was host to many giant predatory fish and marine reptiles, but few were as tenacious or as fearsome as the Factinus audax. It would have fed on whatever it could get its teeth around. This would include smaller fish, turtles, pterosaurs, and even juvenile mosasaurs. It probably even scavenged if the opportunity presented itself. A number of skeletons of Zephactinus have been found with undigested prey in their stomachs. An incredible specimen is on display at the Frost Science Museum in Miami. A 13-foot-long Zephactinus has a completely preserved, undigested, 6-foot-long Gilicus arctuatus in its stomach. And it's very likely that Zephactinus died shortly after consuming this giant piece of prey. The physical comparisons between Zephactinus and its modern classmate, the tarpon, are somewhat apparent. The long torpedo-like body, capable of great speed, the voracious appetite, and the giant eyes that help it to spot prey through the murky waters and even above the surface. The fish's name means sword ray. It gets its name from the similarity of its tail to the swords of Roman gladiators. But Zephactinus also gives us an insight into the rest of the underwater community in which it lived. Several specimens have been recovered with squalacorax, or crow shark teeth, embedded in the remains. This is indicating that these scavenging sharks would often feed on the remains of the dead Cephactinus, continuing the cycle of death and rebirth across our ever-changing world. Fish fossils are also very delicate and require a specialized set of tools and training to properly preserve them for future generations of study. To take us behind the bones today, or in this case, under the gills, 
Kat and I spoke with Keely Sweeney from Instone Fossils in Kenmore, Wyoming. But the best fishing is done with a pick and a brush. We have a very special guest with us. We're celebrating Fossil Fish February. And ordinarily, we talk a lot about dinosaurs here on the channel, but we have to show our appreciation for all things prehistoric. And in a special occasion like this, we are very, uh, very privileged to have with us here, all the way from Instone Fossils in Wyoming, we have Miss Keely Sweeney. Keely, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Oh, we're doing so great. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How are things going out there in Wyoming? Um, it is cold. We have some snow. It's very windy right now. We're about 22 degrees today. So it's Wyoming. <laughs> so Keely, I know that your, your focus is on a little bit something different, but as a, as a guest on this show, there's one question that everybody has to answer. And so I have to ask you now, Keely Sweeney, what's your favorite dinosaur? Pachycephalosaurus. How come Pachycephalosaurus is your favorite dinosaur? Just a head butter. I think that's me. I just, I vibe with that. So. <laughs> that's a fantastic answer. Pachycephalosaurus is always <laughs> a great, great answer, answer for that question. So how do you feel about the, you know, the, the head bashy ones? hundred percent. How do you feel about the the question of Pachycephalosaurus versus Dracorex versus Stigmolic and all the different uh, the growth patterns and whether they're one thing or three things. So I really love the Dracorex Hogwartsia because of the name. I am a huge Potter nerd, but it's totally cool if it's not a new species. Like I'm, you know, I'm not like particular personally. I just love the name. If they could just switch them all to Dracorex, Dracorex Hogwartsia, I mean, I'd be cool with that too. Whatever. You know, I actually had this conversation with Dr. Phil Curry, and I asked him the very same thing that Jimmy just asked you. And I said, what do you think? Do you think that Dracorex and Pachycephalosaurus, are they different or not? And he's like, I like to believe that they would be different, but I need more evidence. So right. we don't know. So I guess we can dare to exactly. dream. And kudos to the naming of that i love that uh that some species get a really unique name that we can all identify with well it's nice that it's a fun dinosaur name that's not another version of this thing kills more than other things do. exactly yes <laughs> like terrible claw terrible <laughs> lizard all of those the dynamo Thoristes, the god of death so many different just murder sores all of them this one is like oh this is a dragon king from a special wizard home <laughs> we love it it's so fantastic i mean it's very <laughs> slytherin vibes and i i vibe with that <laughs> yeah draco draco malfoy you know i actually went to a comic book convention because the actor who played draco malfoy was supposed to be there and i had a little draco rex toy and i was gonna get him to sign it but he backed out of the comic book convention last minute and i didn't get to have my draco rex signed by draco malfoy and my heart was broken i would be too so, yeah, that's I would, a slytherin yeah. thing to do <laughs> <laughs> So, Keely, you work at Instone Fossils. Where is that in Wyoming? So, we're located in Kemmer, Wyoming, and that's Kemmer, not Kemmer, er, er, Um, There's extra ERs at the end if you haven't uh, looked on a map. 
It's a very small town. Um, Instone Fossils has their own fossil fish quarry 12 miles outside of town. And in town, we have a gallery where you can see all kinds of natural history specimens and geologic specimens as well. And that's where our prep lab is hosted too. So you're a preparator at Instone Fossils. You do a lot of the, the fossil prep. I do. What's that like? It's a dirty job but it's got to be done. <laughs> um, it's super rewarding, especially because all of, all of the fossils come from the quarry and they come straight to me and I am the first person to expose those fossils. They're, I'm the first person to see them where they get their shining glory. That must be a really rewarding experience in order to be one of the first people to actually unveil and see these things for the first you are the first human eyes that gets to see these things how incredible it's is super. that super i can't explain how ecstatic i am when i see something different we have i think there's four species of priscacara serrata well there's cochrolites lyops which diverged from priscacara serrata <laughs> so there's an undescribed species which you wouldn't be able to identify unless you performed microscopic preparation and did that well. There's only two little identifiers on the fish that would separate it from serrata to unidentified. What are those things that you're looking for? Like, what, What's the specific feature. I mean, if it's so microscopic and small, what, what is it? So one of the things is right here on the fish, it'll have jagged edges, whereas a Cochrolites lyops would, it would be smooth. They're typically smaller. The other thing you want to look for is an extra spine. And a lot of the time they either are not prepared properly or they just, they're prepped so badly that it would just blow off. You need that. It's a it's teeny tiny little extra spine just beep, right on its back. Oh, that's really interesting. So these two fish that lived in the same area, and by the way, how old, how long ago was this, this formation? Green River formation is Eocene in age, which is approximately 40 to 50 million years old. Our strata is 52.3 million years old. Green River formation fish have always fascinated me because... Almost nowhere else in the world do you see this level of how well they've been preserved. Do you know what it is about the Green River Formation that makes it special in order for all of these fish to be so well preserved? I know that there's a few different ideas of how the fish died. A lot of it, um, we have like an ash layer, what we call it an ash zone where a lot of these fish died all at once, like this. And then we have some other instances where you can see that the fish floated to the bottom of the lake and then it was slowly covered in, or quickly covered in sediment and then preserved that way. There could be an algae type thing happening. They, they've talked about gas plumes, which could have killed them all over and over again. So this and isn't just one event. And there's also the candlestick and the revolver, but usually that's with, with uh, Colonel Mustard has the revolver most of the time. <laughs> there's there's yeah. lots of different ways to figure out the who, the where, and the why. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, that's not making the cut. I'm cutting that out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Keely, there's a there's a pretty, I'm gonna say, famous video now of you cleaning a fossil fish. Oh, I don't know. If it's I want to know what. The, <laughs> well, I mean, it's Jimmy. How many views has this thing gotten so far? I mean, it's pretty impressive. So when you aired it yesterday, you posted this up as just one of those so satisfying to watch, like an ASMR video of of just you preparing this fish with was it an air scribe you were using? Yes. And when we first talked about this and you said, Oh my gosh, my video is up and people were looking at it, it had eleven thousand views within ten minutes. And then by the time I was saying, Okay, this is a really cool video, it came back and had thirty four thousand views. Like you you <laughs> it was you and the cat lawyer on the internet yesterday were dominating everything. So it was really cool to see that. But that was such an amazing video. And that's what you do every day. Thank you. Yeah. That's so awesome. the tools that the tools that you were using in the video, it is an air scribe. So for people who don't know what an air scribe is, could you describe what using an air scribe is like? A mini jackhammer that propelled by air. Um, I use about 10 to 15 pounds of force. Some air scribes require higher poundage. And it has like different tips and stuff. You can have a chisel tip or a pointy tip or a round tip, whichever best suits what you're working on. It was such a cool looking thing, though, because at, at, as close as you were to it, with all the layers of matrix, it looked like a cliffside, like it looked like the edge of the Grand Canyon. And you're coming through and just like just erasing. The, it's like you're photoshopping out a mountain and there's a fish underneath. Right. And that fish was so beautifully preserved as well. Some of them are not that great, but I made sure to take a video of that one because it was prep preparing beautifully. Mm. I don't think there's any better feeling in the world than preparing something and the matrix is coming off like really, really easily. With my experiences of being a fossil preparator, there's no better feeling than using the air scribe and then the, the layers just come off. Whereas it can be the complete opposite. You could get a specimen that's awful to work with and you're like spending hours trying to drill into this piece of ironstone and going nowhere. So, and that's the yeah, part that's, people don't see. It was see. amazing to see that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nobody shares the videos of how awful working with ironstone is. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Or, you know, if something breaks it happens fossils break and we glue them back together well that's half the fun like you, you can't destroy a fossil in such a way there's like oh no you've just given me an extra three hours of work i gotta take care of and this is what i love to do so it's gonna be great <laughs> i want to go back to something that you just said gluing it back together what kind of glues do you use in order to glue back a prehistoric fossil fish a very industrial glue. Is it like super glue? Kind of like super glue, yeah. Well, that's okay. They're not sponsoring <laughs> us. They, we, we're just going to call it. Uh, we're... <laughs> Dino <laughs> glue. It. Dino glue. <laughs> Dinos. It's just an industrial adhesive, um, and a lot of acetone goes along with that. Then glue it again. Now, I, I think I know the adhesive you're talking about. That's one that, that we really enjoy using because you can go back from it. 
like in in everyday language you think of using glue on something it's like i'm gonna stick these two things together and they're stuck they're not gonna move again but with these kinds of adhesives that we use in fossil preparation sometimes we need to hold things for a little while and then go back a step right and so you have a glue that you can break back down without damaging the fossil is that right so do you have a favorite tool that you like to use but we also use um, an air abrasive unit, which is like a tiny sandblaster. Now that is satisfying. Oh. And those are the videos I'd love to take. We do have some on our Instagram that we do um, live feeds. And then we post those videos as IGTVs. And those are really satisfying to watch too, because you can just see Matrix just melting away. Instead of like the sedimentary rock splitting, the way that you see with the pneumatic air scribes, you just see it melt, and it's fantastic. And the the sandblaster, it doesn't it doesn't ruin it the can't. fossil at all. Like, how does it know the difference between the matrix so, and the fossil? So, um, it's kind of it's it's mostly you. You're the only one that prevents a fossil from being damaged. But um, the other part of that is finding a medium that is both harder than your matrix, yet softer than the fossil preservation or the mineralization. But it doesn't really matter if you turn it up too high or if you stick around too long in one area because you can pummel it from, the, from underneath. That's mm, the other mm, scary thing with how thin these fossil fish are is if you have something that's just too abrasive and too much, it's like a small earthquake and it'll just end up lifting everything off and then, you know, it's kind of done. So like those videos of people jumping onto frozen trampolines when the ice just shatters, except that it's a dead fish? Right, yeah. Okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just connecting all the pieces now. So we're talking a lot about this. I need to see something that you've worked on. Do you have any samples of, of your Green River Formation fish? I do. That we can take a look at? Yeah. So I'll start off with the Wyoming state fossil, also the most commonly excavated fossil in the world. It's called a Nydia eocena. Nydia, I'm very familiar with that. Nydia eocena. That's really cool looking. Very three-dimensional. Yeah, it's it's perfect. It's and like it, it's all right there. There's there's no ambiguity about whether or not it's a fish you know a lot of times you find these pieces and puzzle pieces oh you gotta yeah put it's together. definitely a fish <laughs> yeah and these are the most common fossils that are found within the green river formation the night they are the most common yes the most common fossil fish found in the green river formation is the nightia fish it is a small herring-like schooling fish which averaged about three to four inches but could grow to about 10 inches this little fish, much like modern-day fish, had four fins. This little fish would have eaten algae and plankton and would have been a food source for the larger fish of the lake. The Nightia was first discovered in the 1840s by missionaries and travelers through the area and was named after Wilbur Clinton Knight, the first state geologist of Wyoming. These little fossils are collected at several commercial quarries in Wyoming and they are so abundant that tens of thousands of these little guys are collected each year. And they are so abundant that it is not uncommon to find more than one in a single layer of rock. 
Yes, those are called, sometimes they're called a catastrophe. We call them a mortality layer. Oh, that's quite interesting. A mortality layer. Right. And those are the layers where we find ash zones. So we are finding a very fine, fine ash sediment in between these layers. And then whew, lots of fish. And again, it's nice to have a, a common, casual name. Like, uh, this, is, this is our calamity zone. This is our mortality layer. <laughs> mortality. <laughs> <laughs> Can we see that fish again? So there's something else that's on the, the, the specimen. In the matrix area, all the stuff that's not fish, uh, over here on on your right, what is this this darker gray material? It looks like um, it looks like the fish has washed up on shore, and it's like the the tides are receding behind it. It actually it's dendrites. Oh, now I know what a dendrite is, but could you explain what a dendrite is for people who don't know what a dendrite so is? So it kind of looks like little tiny like plant type fossils but it's not it's just where like water seeped in with minerals and then it laid there in these really cool patterns when you go out and you find these things in the field and you're breaking apart the pieces of rock how do you know if there's a fish inside those pieces of rock is there a way to tell if there is a fish in there so some layers, like the ash zones we were talking about earlier, you have to split on those layers in order to see a positive and a negative, which is, here's an example of a piece of a mortality layer. So somewhere, probably broken by now, there's another side to this. Interesting. But when you get down to the 18 inch layer like this one, very rough. You're not going to know there's a fish in there unless you excavate at night. At night. So we use um, halogen lights to angle the light so that we can see shadows cast of the little spines. Oh, interesting. Okay, that's really fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So you have to use spotlights to find these 52 million year old fish because those subtle things will show up compared to the rest of the environment around. The other things just don't cast shadows? Like, how, how is it any different at night than during the day? That's, a, that's an amazing technique. So you could dig during the day, but it has to be either early morning or late evening because you need to have those shadows cast. If you have sun at high noon, or if it's overcast, you're not gonna be able to identify those bumps. They're just gonna look like bumps. But when you have the angled light, you can, I wish I had one unprepared, I would show you. <laughs> but you can see where it's like, it's a spine, plain as day. Oh my God, it's like fishing now. At dawn or at dusk, Otherwise, the fish are just all gone. And that's, that's insane. That's crazy to me. Prehistoric fishing. I love that. That is, that is such a cool industry secret that I had no idea about. Well, it's not too much of a secret. We take people on tours. Fair enough. Yeah. So you can go to Wyoming, dig fossil fish at night, and have this brilliant experience where you find fossils and then you get to keep them. Some places you get to keep everything you find. Other places you can't. 
That's incredible. So let's that is really let's go back cool. to the beginning. How did you get involved in this preparator industry? How did you start working with? Did you go on one of these tours yourself to to get the get hooked? My story is a little strange, so no. <laughs> Um, I was in the corporate world for a little while. I think I'm like most people where that just did not suit me. I was always just really unhappy with what I was doing, but I had been rock hounding all my life. And then I moved to Wyoming and, um, I actually saw a, an advertisement on Facebook for a fossil preparator position and, and then it had a phone number like that's it like in search of fossil preparator here's the phone number so I did a little google search and actually Emily Grassley's video from Brain Scoop came up at the field museum where where she's watching fossil preparation of fossil fish and it was from Wyoming and I'm like okay this is, this is going to be great. <laughs> so, so I go down there and I worked for a week and he was like, yeah, it looks okay. It looks so pretty good. And then I worked two weeks and then I worked two years and now it's been three and a half. <laughs> and the rest is history. You're the fossil fish lady now. I'm the fish lady. <laughs> That's amazing. No, did you did you take to it right away? Like, did you enjoy uh, when you got in there? Because it, it it is a skill. It's definitely it's 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 an artistry to put this together. But did did you did you take to it like a fish to water? <laughs> I would say so, probably. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> no, it's not. But thank you for indulging me. <laughs> <laughs> What are your ambitions and plans for the future? Like, where do you see yourself taking this on your adventure into the future? Um, I would love to just continue to get more content out there that inspires more people, especially women in STEM. That's a huge hashtag that's happening as we're recording today that it's Women in STEM Day. It's so, so important for young women and girls to get involved in STEM. And I think that a lot of young girls don't know that this is something that's available to them. And this is something that they can do and they can be good at. And it's not just for boys. So it's really inspiring to hear you say something like that. Um, yeah, today is International Young Women and Girls in STEM Day. And as a part of something that I'm doing on social media is I'm trying to lift that up. So it's incredible to me to be able to be a part of that. What advice would you share to any of the little nine-year-old Keelys out there who are interested or might even have like an inkling of maybe doing this when they get to our age? No matter what it is, do what you love and you'll find a way to survive on it for sure. Even if it's a hobby, you have to do what you love. And if science and math and paleontology is something you want to do, pursue it. That's amazing. I don't think I could have said it better myself. That was perfect. Okay. Uh, so let's take a look. You have other fish that you want to show us. Yeah, I've got a few here. 
So this one is broken. He needs a little dino glue, okay? <laughs> dino glue. But this, if I can fit him back together. Oh, that's so satisfying, putting it together like, like that. that. Oh, yes. <laughs> so nice. <laughs> Are they often clean breaks like that when you find them? If we dig them right, they don't break. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but no, they're not they're not always a clean break like this. This one hit the table a little too hard at some point. Oh no. Cuz I was able to prep him a little bit and then he broke. Oh no. Yeah. But this is a myoplosis. It's kind of like a little trout guy. That's so fascinating. And that one's a different color. So the Nightia that you showed us before was like a deep, like a charcoal or a black color. That one's got kind of a reddish uh, brown hue to it. Is that because of the sediment or is that because of the way that it's prepared? What, what makes the coloration? So they're actually from two different layers within our quarry. Oh, this is from the gastropod layer. The gastropod layer. Gastropod layer, so it's a little darker. Okay. So this is from the 18-inch layer, and it is a little darker, but it does have some of that red to it. And the red coloration is actually just a property of our quarry, whereas other quarries might have a more orange fossil or a more black fossil. Ours is right there in the middle. So, Keely, where can people find out more about what you're doing and participate in one of your tours and go on a dig to go hunt fish at night? So, you can check out instonefossils.com. Um, we have a booking page right there on the home screen. You can check out all of the different amenities and things because we give you a gourmet meal. Um, it's an eight-hour eight-hour tour from 6 p.m. to 1 o'clock in the morning, 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, you can also follow Instone Fossils on Instagram. You can follow me on Instagram. We're on LinkedIn, TikTok, um, Twitter, you name it. All right. Well, Keely, it was absolutely wonderful talking to you today. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us about Fossil Fish and Fossil Fish Month, which is pretty exciting. And yeah, Jimmy, do you have anything else you want to um, add? Have a wonderful and festive Fossil Fish February. I appreciate you spending your time with us here, and I'm looking forward to seeing some amazing things. I would love to get back out to Wyoming once everything becomes safe to do so, and so I definitely want to get uh, my hands dirty and check out some of those fish myself. I appreciate you so much for taking the time to be with us. We'd love to have you both. Thank you, Jimmy and Kat. It's been a real honor to be on the show. <laughs>